You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world, so I want to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can speak their minds, and this way you, the listeners, can hear some opinions and viewpoints that are different than my own. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're heading back to the U.S. for today's episode. I intentionally left out the city because I knew if I put it in, you would already know who my guest is today. We're heading to Philadelphia for today's guest He is the founder of the Napoli Club Philadelphia. He's also the king of banter on Twitter. Azzurri fan Phil, welcome to Forza Napoli. Hell of an introduction. Believe it or not, I am not the only Napoli fan in Philadelphia. (laughs) No, actually, I I looked at the uh, Facebook page. You've got quite a few members now. I, I think it was a couple of hundred, no? We don't have an official membership tally. We are not an official club recognized by the team. Just real quick, there are a number of other Syria clubs in the city here. One in particular is an official club recognized by their Syria team, but most others are more informal groups, and, and that's what we fall into. So during normal times, we would have a decent crowd. For the big matches, we would really pack the cafe, but we don't have an official membership tally, at least at this point. Well, I think maybe that's more of a formality than anything, right? I think as far as what the intent of a club is, you're probably checking all the boxes there, I would think. We like to get together for matches. Again, when we we get back to more normal times, that will certainly be a, a welcome return to normality when we're able to finally get back to the cafe and, and really have the meetups uh, that were so popular. Yeah, absolutely. So... I'm sure 
you watched the match on the weekend. We're recording on Monday, so I definitely want to get your thoughts on the Cagliari game on Sunday. There's plenty to talk about from that game. I also want to get your thoughts on the Gattuso versus Spalletti debate. Last week, we had Vincenzo Bertillo on, and he made a pretty strong argument for keeping Gattuso. And I know you're a big proponent of Spalletti, so I'll get your thoughts on that. But first, we always start with our guest story. So, Phil, how did you become a Napoli fan? My family is from Italy. My mom's side is from Sicily, but my dad's side is from Campania. So there's the regional connection there. But really, it was friends of mine around the city of Naples that got me into Napoli. And really, ever since they got me into the team, I've been pretty fanatical about it. I actually didn't get to go to my first Napoli match until September of 2012, but I've been back quite a few times. And obviously, it's a passion unlike any other. You said at the beginning of the podcast that we really believe that. I would say most times it's not easy, but wouldn't have it any other way. Our patience can definitely be tested with this club, and especially during the Saudi days when we got so close. Those are some tough pills to swallow, but I think that's part of what makes this team so special and this fan base so special. I know probably every fan base is loyal to their team, but maybe it's just because I interact mostly with Napoli fans that I definitely have a strong bias towards Napoli fans, obviously, with this series, (laughs) but... As far as our community online goes, I think you're probably still one of the more veteran types of fans, I guess you could say, in terms of dating back. There's a wide mix, and there are fans that I think we're probably from the same generation, but there are fans that are older than us that maybe remember some older times, or fans that are younger than us that that maybe don't, and you know, it's all good. We accept everyone. It sounds like you've been to Napoli a lot more than I have. I I probably didn't start getting as serious about my fandom. I've always been a fan, just like you, with the ties to you know family in, in Campania, but not as diehard until a bit later. So I haven't had the opportunity between going to school and working and then you know having a family. But I think that's something we're all probably looking forward to is getting a chance to, to go back or for some people like myself, really, to go for the first time to catch a game in Napoli. At least in my experience growing up, it was a lot more difficult to even follow Syria in the United States. So we are very spoiled now. I think a lot of us will still find a way to complain about who is covering Syria, but we're still quite a ways. We've come pretty far from the days, you know, in the 90s. You could argue that the heyday of the league, but it was not easy to follow the league if you were in the United States, especially considering our age yeah and, and in canada it's been similar growing up we watched on rye and they had just sort of the goal so you at least see the goals but unless it was sort of the feature game you didn't really get to see the whole game and now or at least for the last couple of years we've had the zone in canada which is i imagine a similar type of service as espn plus in the states or we'll see cbs and paramount what they bring in the states but yeah, I think now you can watch pretty much any game. You can watch on demand, you know, any time of day if you're not able to. I know for people that we've spoken to, like Ben in Australia, sometimes those times are two, three o'clock in the morning. So that's that's huge. Now I'm I'm having that struggle trying to watch the Primavera or the Femenile because they don't get anywhere near the type of coverage as the senior team do. I actually know how our fans in Australia do it. 
God bless them. That's a whole different level of dedication right there. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are some games that maybe they regret having woken up to watch. I think you can make a case that this game against Calgary was one of them. So let's get to that match. It was a 1-1 game. We conceded the equalizer in the 94th minute to Nahita Hernandez. Before we get to the goals, I want to talk about the goal that was not allowed. This play happened early in the second half. Kulibali clears the ball out. Osman chases it down. He wins the ball, chips it over Alessio Cranio. Godin goes down on the play, and the goal is called off. What did you think of that call? Did Michael Fabry get this one wrong? One of the worst calls of the season across the league. I've watched the replay I don't know how many times at this point. I can't even say that it's a weak call. It's just a total non-call. This is in no way a foul. It should absolutely have stood as a goal. And I would hate for this season where we're talking about a couple of points deciding not just one of the places could determine a number of the places in the top four if that could come back to bite us. Now, I think fans should remain calm. We have our, our destiny in our, our own hands. But God, looking back on it, if missing those two points end up costing us a Champions League spot, a lot of fans are going to be upset, and for good reason. Absolutely. I think this one is squarely on on Fabri, the, the match official. I, I know there was some people complaining about Mazzoleni, and you know we have a long history of poor decisions with him i did look up the rules on on the var and there is a bit of ambiguity on this there's a section in the aia rules of the game on var protocols and what it says is there are four types of plays that can be reviewed goals penalty decisions direct red cards and mistaken identity which is if an official inadvertently gives the wrong player a, a caution for example so presumably this play could have been reviewed because it resulted in a goal but one of the interpretations of those protocols, and I've seen it in some of the protocols for the Premier League, is that you cannot review a foul that is outside of the area. So that's where I think there's a bit of ambiguity. I think it's possible that VAR was not an option because the call on the field was a foul outside of the area. And I think if Fabry did not blow his whistle, then he could have consulted the VAR to see if there was a foul that should take the goal away. So for me, I know, again, there's this history of, with Mazzoleni, but I think that's purely on Fabry. My issue, as is often the case with Serie A officiating, is consistency, and I tweeted about this as well. If that was a foul by Osimhen Angodin, then why were we not awarded a penalty in the first half when Nengolan shoved Chucky Lozano in the area? I totally agree with you. Let the goal stand. Let the play continue. And then if it's going to be called back, you know, that's when you can review it. But I think Fabry was totally in the wrong here. Our linesmen are directed to do just that, right? If you're not sure, just allow the play to continue. The VAR will take a look. They'll do their check. And, and if they think a second look is warranted, they'll radio in to the official and he can go take a look. And And what's frustrating to me is if you watch how this played out, that play started with Koulibaly playing sort of a long clearance out of the area that ended up being a pretty good long ball for Osimhen to run onto. But because of that, Fabry was sort of off camera, but at best, he would have been standing at midfield calling this foul that occurred pretty much at the top of the Caliute box. So, you know, I don't know how he could have possibly seen 
the foul from that far away. Again, it's not all caught on camera, but as far as I could tell, the linesman wasn't waving his flag for the foul. So I think this, again, was Fabry just calling a foul from really far away that was really hard to see. And another thing that's been a popular opinion amongst Napoli fans is it was a tough weekend in the sense that Juventus were on the verge of a 1-0 loss. That was turned around by a dubious free kick that was awarded to Juve, and then Ronaldo takes a free kick, and Rodrigo de Paul sticks out his elbow. They get a penalty, and that leads to the game-tying goal, and they end up going on to win the match. And I'm not suggesting that there's some sort of conspiracy to help Juve here. I know a lot of people feel that way, especially with all the Super League stuff. I think even less that there's a conspiracy, but it just really sucked that you know Juve get a soft call in their favor, and they end up taking three points. We get a soft call against us, and as you said, it could really influence the the final standings on whether we make it to the Champions League. What really did this is the fact that Godin really flopped when he went down. I think that's probably what got Fabri's attention. But still, the point remains that this should have been allowed to continue. And then if it needs to be called back, then it gets reviewed. And I will quickly touch on the point that you brought up. Uh, that Juve free kick was certainly dubious. And I've been making the point, and I know a number of our other friends from Calcio Twitter will take exception to this, but I have I have been pretty consistent in, in stating that there is no way that Juve don't qualify for the Champions League. I think those dubious, favorable calls for them, I think the league has too much to quote-unquote lose if Juve do not qualify for Champions League. So we already saw one of those calls with the free kick, and then that leads to the penalty. And then, you know, it was perfectly predictable what happened after that. Yeah, and it's a fair theory because they own the the prize possession of the league. And again, going back to Twitter, the Sedia Twitter account and probably every other social media account run by Sedia looks for every opportunity to tweet or post something about Cristiano Ronaldo. And I'm sure that's probably because, you know, everything he retweets gets a million eyes or clicks or views or whatever it might be or more. So yeah, we'll have to see. I, I don't disagree with you. You've been playing Milan on, on the weekend. So at least if they get some calls in their favor, at least Milan will draw points and Milan have Atalanta in the final round. If they drop points there, I think that'll certainly help our cause. You know, it's unfortunate that, Osman wasn't given this goal because I thought he had another really strong performance. What did you think about his play in this game? Incredible. He really put in the work this weekend, and it was uh, especially unfortunate to see him go off injured. Thank God that he was able to walk off on his own. I think he's fit for this weekend, thankfully, and it seems like he's already fired up for the next match. I know that he tweeted after the match, so that was good to see. But definitely impressed. Should have had two goals. Would have gotten us the win. But hopefully this just fires him up and fires the rest of the team up even more for this weekend because I I really think we're going to need it against Spezia. Yeah, and and I'm going to get to that in a little bit as well. I I wonder, going back to his tweet, if he got permission from the club to do that because uh, we're in the Silencio Stampa right now. We haven't really heard anything from any players or coaches. 
We did get a comment from Edo after the match, which was also interesting. But yeah, I agree. Osman was fantastic again. I think he's been excellent since he returned from that head injury that he sustained against Atalanta, where he missed a couple of games. In 10 appearances, and I tweeted about this today as well, in 10 appearances since he returned from that injury, he's got six goals, and he only started in five of those matches. So if you do the math, he's averaged about a goal a game. It's a goal every 92 and a half minutes. I think had that goal counted... That second goal, it would be down to a goal every 79 or 80 minutes. Yet, I still see people saying that he wasn't worth the investment. And the crazy thing is that he does so much more than just score goals, right? He, We saw that in this game. He's tracking back to help defend. He's holding a play. He's creating chances for his teammates like he did for Zielinski in this match. And I'm convinced that anyone who's saying he's not worth it are probably just looking at the stats and don't actually watch him play all that often. But... Back to the game, it's easy to say that the refs cost us this match, but do we really have anyone to blame other than ourselves? We could have been a lot better with finishing. I think everyone knows that I'm a big Insigne fan, but I think too many of his efforts were right at Cragnell. So while Insigne had an incredible assist to start the match, our finishing just was not there. We could have put this match to bed a lot earlier. So... I certainly get the criticisms of Fabry and VAR, all of that. But yeah, a good amount of this is also on ourselves. And then defensively, I mean, Usai, he was off from the very beginning. I don't think he should have started the match, period. And I think that's another issue with Gattuso. We have this defender who is a liability these days. And he's starting this match. That's a problem. He doesn't have it turned on from the very beginning. I mean, I I remember at points in the first half, I was thinking, what is he doing? So can't even chalk it up to fatigue, you know, in stoppage time where he's at fault. So I would say it's a bit on us defensively, of course, but also offensively. There were a couple of attempts from Insigne that could have been a lot better. Yeah, and, and it wasn't just Insigne. I agree, he he missed a couple of shots that he usually does better on. There was the one where Zielinski played the little diagonal ball through to him, and normally that's finding the, the far corner, but he just didn't get much on it, and it was an easy enough save for Cranio. We had a couple of open headers that were missed. Lozano had one in the first half after a nice ball from Osman. Osman himself had an open header early in the second half. Again, Koulibaly played a nice little chip on that play to Zielinski, who then crossed to, to Osman. I think maybe both of those plays could have been offside. Who knows? Bar probably would have had to take a look. We had Demme hit the bar with a rocket from outside the area, but I, I don't want to say that we were unlucky because Kaliuri hit the upright in the first half as well. So those kind of cancel each other out. That Zielinski shot I mentioned straight at Cranio. Osman had another chance about midway through the second half. Uh, that was a long ball from his side that he took down beautifully, but then he missed the, the target with his left foot. And I tweeted during the match that we know what happens when we fail to convert so many chances. And sure enough, Caliuri scores in the fourth minute of stoppage time. You touched on it a little bit, but what did you think of that goal? We were asleep at the back. You can't fault Meret at all. He had an all-star performance. I was so happy for him. I think it's known that I'm generally a big fan of his big defender. I think he should be our starting keeper. And he was proving it this weekend. He really was. But you can't fault him on that goal. I think that's totally on you, Cy. 
when they scored, obviously, I was mad, but not surprised because I, I think we were asking for it for, I don't want to say a good amount of the match because I think overall we were in control, but there were some very dangerous moments. And like you said, when we don't put these types of matches away early, we're hanging on to this one nil lead. Too often it comes back to bite us. Yeah, I agree. I would say maybe for the last 15, 20 minutes, we, we slowly started to take our foot off the gas a little bit. And in my preview, I do three keys to the match. And one of them that I had for this match was that we can't relent. I liked that in the Torino match, we just kept on attacking the full 90 minutes. And that was a rare match where even with a two-goal lead, I normally don't feel all that secure. But that was a rare match where... I never really doubted that we were going to win. We just always had the ball. And when we have the ball, that means the opponent doesn't, obviously. And, and they're not going to get many chances. But in this one, we slowly started to take our foot off the gas. And then by the time we got to stoppage time, we were in full defensive mode. And I think I counted five or six occasions in stoppage time where we just very cheaply gave the ball back to Kelly, whether it was just panicky clearances or poor passes that that missed our players that put us in awkward positions and we just kept on giving the ball back to them and you're asking for for trouble when you do that I initially blamed Hisai on this play because it seemed like he just completely lost Nandas there he's definitely got a large amount of accountability there but when I watched it again and judging by his reaction I'm not sure that he knew that Nandas was even there I think it was Elmas that was behind Nandas and he also didn't follow that run and I wonder if Elmas just didn't communicate well to Hisai that Nandes was behind him. So it wasn't a great goal to concede, obviously, you know, so late in the match, so close to, to getting three points. It's the second time we've done that, you know, in this recent run of form that we've had. I think we've only dropped points in three matches. One was the tie to Sassuolo, one was this tie, and then the loss to Juve. I think we also tied Inter. And, you know, that Sassuolo match, of course, was a similar situation where we conceded that, that late penalty with Manolas. Just like with the decision with Fabri, I really hope that, you know, these two plays are not what would have been the difference between us reaching the Champions League or not. Going back quite a bit, honestly, in this season, at least 10 points. And we're not just talking Champions League at that point. You know what else we would be talking about if we had 10 extra points right now, you know? This match, the Sassuolo match, the Spezia loss in January, too often we were making really boneheaded mistakes. And I think about what could have been, but right now we got to focus on what we could still get and what is still honestly in our favor. These remaining matches are tricky matches. I said it coming into this past weekend, I'm going to say it throughout. These are tricky matches because you have teams fighting for survival. And quite frankly, even if they weren't, these are just quintessential matches that uh, over the years we have struggled to just put away. But we should win every last remaining match. And if we do, we're in Champions League. Yeah, exactly. You can definitely go back further in the season. The the first meeting with Ludinez was just barely a draw. But like you said, if we win all four of these matches, granted, not necessarily easy matches, when you look at the opponents and, and what they're fighting for, we're there. I mean, like I said, Juve still have to play Milan. That's coming up this weekend. Atalanta have to play Milan on the final day. That means that if we win all four of those matches, 
we we do control our destiny still. The four games that we have remaining are against Spezia, Udinese, Fiorentina, and Hellas Verona. On paper, seems easy. I think it's a lot harder than it seems. Which of those matches are you most concerned about? This weekend, we saw what they can do this season against us. We saw what they did to us when they were down a man in Naples. This is a team that hasn't lost at home, I believe, since January. They got a draw against Inter a few weekends ago. And I think they generally have the fight. And they're fighting for survival, too. So I think this is going to be the trickiest of the remaining matches. That being said, still a match that we ought to win. We dominated this team in the Coppa Italia match. It got nervy towards the end. You know, we had a a 4-0 lead, and not even a four-goal lead is comfortable enough with Napoli because Spezia were able to get two back pretty quickly towards the end, made it a bit nervy. I don't think this match is going to start out with us taking a four-goal lead, so it's going to be a battle. And I think this weekend will be the toughest of the remaining. I think a lot of people think of the Fiorentina matches over recent seasons, not including the one this season where we won very easily. I think that one will also be tricky, but I just think that this weekend is the major hurdle. Yeah, I think Spezia is going to be the tough one as well. I agree it's probably between that game and Fiorentina. Hellas Verona is probably the least of our concerns just because they basically have nothing left to play for. I think the same can probably be said of Udinese. I mean, they did just put up a pretty tough fight against Juve, and and they're always a tough team, although they're not totally out of the the danger zone yet, so they're still playing for something right now. It would have been great if they took points away from Juve, but with so many teams behind them, I think it's highly unlikely that they get relegated, and hopefully by the time we play them, they're pretty safe. With Fiorentina, I think we do also have to be concerned about the fact that they may be looking to avenge that that drubbing that we gave them earlier in the season. You know, 6-0, it's, it's an embarrassing loss, and I, I think they'll want to make up for that. And they've improved quite a bit lately with Vlaovic being on form. As much as I'd hate to see a Southern team go down, I, I'd gladly sacrifice Benevento if it assured us a top-four spot. They have a huge match against Cagliari, and then they play against Atalanta, Fiorentina have to play Lazio next, so that's not an easy match either. And hopefully they can help us out and steal some points from Lazio in that one. And then they have Cagliari after that. So there are a couple of very interesting matches at the bottom of the table as well. I want to close with the Gattuso-Spalletti debate. And before we get into it, let me just preface this discussion by saying that at this very point in time, that's not really what matters. Right now, of course, all that matters is that we win these last four matches and we qualify for the Champions League. If we don't do that, then Gattuso is definitely out. If we do do that, that's when we have to make a decision. And I think that's okay to talk about even before the end of the season. Now, I'm very torn on this subject. Last week, I had Vincenzo Bertillo on, and he made a pretty compelling case for keeping Gattuso. And I have to admit, I'm kind of leaning that way. Uh, and that's partly why I wanted to bring you on now was because I know you're a big proponent of signing Spalletti. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, on why you think Spalletti would be the right hire. And that, that way, at least uh, we have both sides of the story. And hopefully that'll help inform people in terms of what they prefer. So why do you think we should hire Spalletti? I love Gattuso as a person. Uh, love him as a player. 
he is a personality that the players clearly love. And that is important. I'm not dismissing that. I think in hindsight, he ended up being perfect after Ancelotti. That's what we needed. But I think he is still not consistent enough at the top level. I think he is going to be the perfect fit for a team like Fiorentina. That match against Fiorentina will be very interesting. They're fighting for their lives, and he has been heavily linked to Fiorentina. So let's not think that their salvation isn't at least partly in the back of his mind. I think he is going to be out, even if we qualify for Champions League. I think that that would be a perfect send-off. He leaves on a high. He gets to say that he qualified for Champions League after those seasons with Milan and after a season and a half with us fighting for it. I think Spalletti is experienced enough at the highest level. If you look at the teams that he has coached recently, I think, if anything, he has overachieved with them. A lot of people say that he has underachieved. He had Roma in 2016-2017 in a Scudetto fight. I think he is what we need now. I think we need someone in charge that when it comes to consistently qualifying for champions. So I think he has a bad rap. I think more fans are starting to come around to him, but I think it's fair to say most are still skeptical. I just think we would really benefit from his experience at the very top level. Whereas with Gattuso, I think too many fans are caught up in the recent good results, which we all love, and I'm happy for him. But I don't want to sign him for another season where we fall into a funk and then we're left wondering, oh, well, what could have been if we had a different coach? Yeah, I think the biggest argument for at least not continuing with Gattuso to me is that and I'm, trust me, I've used the injury excuse quite a bit because I've defended Gattuso for a long time. But if we do qualify for Champions League, again, if we don't, he's gone anyway, so it's a moot point. But if we do, there are going to be a lot of weeks where we're playing two games a week. And if we struggled back then, yes, we had a lot of injuries all at the same time. But that's a bit of a concern for me and you know how we're using players. There were some of those injuries, like Lozano's, for example, where... You kind of have to put some of the blame or all of the blame on Gattuso for leaving him out there. Yeah, I know we didn't have any substitutions left, but that cost us a month of Lozano, and he hasn't really gotten back to that form yet. I think Gattuso is becoming a coach that his niche may be sort of fixing teams, and he kind of did it with Milan before he came to Napoli. He got them within the final game of qualifying for the Champions League for the first time in a long time, which I think is pretty impressive. Comes to Napoli, a team that's in utter chaos, gets the team back on track. And it wasn't pretty, at least in terms of the style that we played, but it was effective. We won a Coppa Italia. We're on the verge of getting back into the Champions League. Hopefully, he can see it through, but I do question whether he has the ability tactically to take it to that next level to deliver better results than that, or do we just become a a team that's perennially competing to qualify for the Champions League compared to what we were before, where it was a given that we were in the Champions League, and the question was how far can we go? One of the arguments that Vincenzo made last week against Spalletti was that he hasn't coached in a while or he was he was innovative, I guess you can say, in his earlier years, his time at Roma. 
What do you think about that? Because I think the flip side is something you already mentioned, which is, yeah, you can say he's older, but you can also say that he's more experienced. He has had a couple of seasons off, but was fairly recent. And the 2016-2017 Spalletti with Roma, you know, that wasn't too long ago. I'm talking about his second stint. So I think in recent times, he has done well. And listen, he had a goal when Inter brought him in, was to get them back to the Champions League. And it went to the final match day, both seasons that he was there, but he got it done. His four players, I think Handanovic said a few weeks ago that Spalletti really set them up for this success. So I think a lot of fans in general, and this isn't just amongst our fan base or the guy, it's, you know, he's never really won anything. You know, he won in Russia, but what does that really mean? He's the last guy that won anything with Roma, and that was a while ago, but he has gotten big results. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people defend Gattuso on the grounds that he's a people manager, and he is. There's no denying that. There's been reports. Who knows if they're true or not, because, again, the media has been blocked by the club. But, you know, there are reports that players want to fight to keep Gattuso, and I think we may be underestimating Spalletti's relationships with players. I saw an interview with Mohamed Salah talking about his time at Roma with Spalletti and how he could go talk to Spalletti whenever he wanted and they would do private training sessions and then he would go home and train some more. So I think we may be underestimating what he brings to the table in terms of player management as well. I already acknowledge that Gattuso as a personality is someone that fans can obviously love, the players obviously love. They want to give their all for him. But that doesn't mean that I think that they are experienced enough or that they have enough knowledge in field X, Y, and Z. It doesn't mean that they are the most qualified. I think Gattuso is a good manager. I think he has has it in him to prove himself at a mid-table team. And then given time, you know, maybe at the top level, in a few years. Yeah, and I think for me, at the end of the day, I'd rather have a manager that is sound tactically than someone who's just loved by the players, especially, you know, with this club and, and we see how how fickle it can be when we have an owner like De Laurentiis. And, you know, I always praise De Laurentiis for everything he's done, so I'm not hating on him. But, you know, even a guy like Gattuso, who who had a, a very good relationship with De Laurentiis and until we got into a bit of a rut, and then it seemed like that dissipated pretty quickly. To your point, if we start the next season with a poor run, or if it happens midway through the season, we're right back to contemplating who should be the next manager. Did we possibly throw away a season? And, you know, maybe if it's Spalletti, at least you know you're getting an experienced guy, whereas I think if the decision comes down to Gattuso or someone like the Zerbi or Italiano, then I think we're probably leaning more towards Gattuso because those guys are are very risky plays. I worry about coaches like that. I think of Giampaolo at Milan. That was a failed experiment. I think he is another example of a manager who was good at a certain level. I think too many people see coaches like De Zerbia and you know they consider them these wizards of the game. We have to be very careful about whether or not that translates 
at the top level. And I just don't think we are in a position right now to be experimenting like that. I tweeted about this the other day. If the choice was between Gattuso and Rafa Benitez, I think I'd end up sticking with Gattuso. And the other three, Zerbi, Italiano, Juric, I think they're too big of a risk in general. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. Like I said, hopefully we can get into that top four and you know worry about this decision later and things will sort themselves out. I think we'll wrap it up there, Phil. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Before I let you go, tell the listeners where they can find you on social media. Thank you again for having me. Thank you for what you're doing by helping to connect fans. It really is incredible. I think you know where to find me on Twitter at AzuriFanPhil. Same with Instagram. Always happy to connect. Whether you're a fan of the team that we love or a rival fan, uh, I always appreciate good discussion and, of course, a little bit of banter. Yeah, sometimes I think you enjoy the banter uh, a little bit more, maybe. (laughs) Um, It's all in good fun. I don't know what would give you that impression. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. You can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsonopoly Pod. I'll be back with my regular episode a little bit later in the week. We'll catch up on the Primavera, the Feminile, and we'll recap some of the big matches from the latest round of Serie A. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Fortsonopoli sempre. Podcast Network.